Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. Yes, we are locked and loaded. I do enjoy so much. I do enjoy so much that we are focused in this fight right now. Obviously, the stakes are very high. There's a lot to discuss here. More information today about the mass free vaccination campaign that the Trump administration is rolling out, saying could be in mass distribution as soon as January. But I want to start with something else, because I, I, I often tell you, guys, you got to understand the stakes in this election. You're going to hear this or there's certain pundit speak that everyone's going to constantly be using. Right. Oh, it all comes down to turnout. <laughs> Get ready for that one. Well, Bob, um, really important polling today. And what it really means is that at the end, the election will come down to turnout. But why is it that I feel like this election is in particular so important? Uh, What is it about this one that separates it from previous elections? And you could argue that this issue isn't different from 2016. We're just closer and it's more likely to even happen this time around if Democrats take power. And this is the issue that will control all all others. If you believe in your right to bear arms, if you believe in the Second Amendment, if you believe in the First Amendment, if you believe in individual constitutional freedoms that are not subject to the whims of the mob and the Democrat Party's moods of the moment, then you should be very concerned about this one issue that will overshadow all others. And it's amnesty. It's illegal immigration that then turns into mass legalization that then transitions into citizenship for people who broke the law, came here illegally and are going to be by at least a three to one, maybe more like an eight or nine to one vote, reliable Democrats. Now, now this let's be very clear about all this it has nothing to do with a person's country of origin, ethnicity, nationality. Don't care about any of that. I, I wouldn't want five million Swedes showing up illegally and voting in this country once they got an amnesty. I, I wouldn't want this. For anyone from Latin America, wouldn't want this from anyone from Asia, Europe, you name it. We have laws. We're a nation of laws. We're supposed to care about sovereignty and the rule of law, which, as we know, the Democrats don't really. We see this with the police situation and how they're undermining cops are undermining the front line of our law enforcement efforts because it benefits them right now. Because a country that is frightened and suffering is more likely to vote for change, a country that thinks that people aren't able to freely walk down the street without being concerned for their physical safety or that they have to worry whether their business will be burned down to the ground. That's a country that just wants something else. And then there's also the resentment and the anger that has been building up in Democrat controlled enclaves in major cities, including a lot of majority uh, uh, majority minority areas of large urban, uh, large urban districts where The Democrats are pandering, right? Instead of saying, you know what, maybe some of the Democrat policies have failed these communities as they have. They're saying it's not anything that we've done. It's their fault. It's the Republicans. Now, this is an argument that you would think 
should fall on deaf ears based on reason, history, facts, data, logic. But all that gets pushed aside. All that gets pushed aside because of the emotions, because of the narrative, the propaganda. And if we get amnesty because of the votes, it's going to be all over, friends. Understand this as as Joe Biden continues to say buffoonish things across the country. There's one thing that he is very clear on. The Democrat Party has slowly but now openly become a de facto open borders party. Uh, Now, I understand the argument. This would be buck, but we have all these border controls and Trump has been building a wall and, and there's a bipartisan consensus about securing the border. The bipartisan consensus about border security is a fraud. It's a fiction. It's not real. Democrats don't want border security. They just want to make sure they're counting all of their soon to be made voters as they cross into the country. Who do they not want to allow in? If you don't think that things are going well in Honduras because of MS-13, you should be able to claim refugee status here. That was the Democrat Party's position and still is. Democrats believe that anyone who comes here, particularly from a third world country, particularly from circumstances where they have very limited education, uh, no connection to America other than uh, economic interest. They think that that's that's a great thing and they want as much of that as is possible. And they see California as the model for the rest of the country. Bring in as many illegals as possible. So then you tip the political balance permanently in favor of the Democrat socialist left. And then those households, those illegals, as they have household formation and they have children here, the children, of course, are under our law uh, considered U.S. citizens. We've never really dealt with in in court the the issue of anchor babies and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. But Trump said he would. That has not yet happened. But currently, you're a U.S. citizen if you're born here, even if your parents came here illegally. And we know that this leads to birth tourism where Asian uh, Asian visitors, not even immigrants, will show up here, have a baby in a usually California hospital, give that baby citizenship, go back to mainland China in particular. And then when they feel like it, their kid gets to go to come back to America, full citizenship rights, the whole thing, right? Go to in-state tuition and the UCAL system. And no other country in the world does this. We're the only country where people are doing that. At least the only major country that I know of where that occurs. And we're told that this is normal. I know immigration is not a major media narrative right now people aren't focused on this i'm trying to tell you we've lost sight of this trump needs to return to this issue because the democrats are all on board they already know what the game plan is they know what they're going to do if they get a democrat in the white house under these circumstances before the wall has been built before there has been a true reform in security at the border and also for enforcement of immigration. Those things have not happened yet. And we don't have some grand bargain to prevent a future amnesty after a mass amnesty. In fact, it'll become even more likely, which gets us to that open borders, de facto open border status I'm talking about. There's no such thing as an open border. No, no one really has it. There's no country that has a truly open border. But we would be as close to it as anybody. Joe Biden knows what his marching orders are here. 
here he is saying what he's going to do if he becomes president for the first 100 days. Play clip nine. There are going to be no deportations in the first 100 days of my campaign. Let me get that right. You are going to freeze deportations? Freeze deportations for the first 100 days. And then and only people will be deported are people who committed a felony while here. That's number one. Freeze deportations, huh? So the law doesn't count anymore, right? Under U.S. law, if you're in the United States illegally, you are subject to deportation. Now they're going to go beyond just the prosecutorial discretion expansion of the Obama administration, which is really just lawlessness, right? Oh, Obama says we're, we're going to uh, do everything we can to make sure that only the, the, the proper resources are utilized for deportations, i.e., yeah, if you, you know, kill someone or you're in a drunk driving accident, you maim someone, I guess we'll still deport that illegal. But other illegals, no, no, they get to they get to stay, uh, especially if they're DACA, DAPA, you know, deferred action for the friends of the parents of the childhood arrivals, you know, DAFA. I'm sure they were getting ready for that one. Well, I'm, I'm not. I wasn't brought here as a kid, but my friend was. And, you know, we're close. So shouldn't I stay, too? Biden saying no deportations the first hundred days. What do you what do you think that is? It's not a dog whistle to the Democrat base. It's just letting them know, guys, this is the plan. We're going to freeze all deportations to give the Democrats in Congress, assuming they have even a simple majority in the House and and they might even have one in the Senate. They're going to get rid of the filibuster and their first order of business will be amnesty. They made a strategic mistake the last time. The Democrats have learned from this. They went all in on health care and couldn't get the American people there. So they had to do this Obamacare thing and they had to change the implementation. And then it was subject to all kinds of legal challenges. What they for the true left wing socialist takeover of America, what they should have done. And I can only say that now because they missed their window with it. So it's not like I'm giving them any advice they're going to take what they should have done is go all in on amnesty. And Republicans were willing. Look at Rubio and others, the Gang of Eight, right? They were willing to do it. And then the political gravity, the political uh, reality shifts so dramatically, you get whatever you want after that. It's not 11 million illegals, folks. And I'm not just making... I've talked to Border Patrol about this at the highest levels. I've talked to Immigration and Customs Enforcement at the highest levels. The answer is we have no way of knowing and Democrats won't let us know but it's probably 20 to 25 million illegal aliens in the country. And when it's a Democrat amnesty and they just say, everybody just come out and you get your get, come on out, get your citizenship, everyone. Then we'll finally see the numbers and then it's too late. Buck, this is, this is too much. They wouldn't do this. This isn't the plan. Really? Here's Joe Biden yesterday. Play eight. President Trump has canceled DACA. What, could, reinsta- what do you do? I'm going to reinstate it. And then they're going to be part of what I'm going to send to the United States Congress is a total immigration bill to provide a pathway to citizenship for undocumented people in the United States of America. This is this is it makes no sense for us not to do that. Pathway to citizenship. The only guarantee that you get with a pathway to citizenship is amnesty for illegal aliens. All the other stuff they say, we have done this before. Look at history. Look at the Reagan amnesty. I know some some people don't like to hear this on the right, but Reagan got swindled. Look at the and he admitted that. So don't don't send me some angry email. Buck, don't say that about St. Reagan. Reagan's like, look, I got I got 
I got bamboozled. They will say there are all these checks and balances and only people who pay back taxes and learn English and all the that's all crap. And there'll be court challenges for all eternity for anybody after that who should be deported, even under the amnesty that they pass. And you'll be paying for it, right? There'll, there'll be lawyers offered up by the government or by nonprofits. Who cares? And they will make sure that no one ever gets deported. What do you think? The We're fighting right now in an election where it's very likely that a half a million total votes will be the margin of, of victory in the, in the various states in play. And it could be 100, 200,000 votes. The Democrats have a plan here to amnesty by their own numbers, at least 11.7 million. And it's probably double that. At the very bit, be- they're going to do it at the very beginning. Why wouldn't they? Right? Why wouldn't they do this? Makes perfect sense for them, but it means the Republican Party and limited government and the Constitution as we know it and individual rights, that stuff all goes away in favor of big government, big state socialism rule by the mob. No more individual rights, no more anchoring Constitution to protect us from what the big state wants to do. Those are the stakes. That's what we're up against right now. And I wish the president of the United States, who won his first election on this issue, would return to it now. I know there's COVID. I know there's law and order issues. We're talking about that a lot. But what about immigration? Tell people that you're going to have built almost 300 miles of wall already and you're going to get to 500 in short order. Tell people, Mr. President, where is this issue where, it, where there's silence on it? And it's not just about what's happening today. It is about the strategic long-term implications for this country. He won in 2016 on this. He can help himself win again if he focuses in on this. And we all need to be aware of it. With amnesty comes the end, my friends. This country will never be the same afterwards. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. He is probably wrong, according to my sources, about when the people working on the vaccine will feel good about it getting out of phase three, especially uh, with this little setback they just had. I don't know that it's a little setback, but they have people who are getting sick in a way that they have to figure out why. Um, so let's say he's wrong about when it comes out because he wants to time it to the election. Of course he does. He wants everything about this to be geared to his advantage. A vaccine doesn't stop this virus for us. Thanks. Noted legal and high level legal expert and high level intellectual Chris Cuomo. It's again, the vaccine won't stop this. What will stop it? If you listen to Democrats, nothing stops the pandemic. If you listen to the current drumbeat from the media, get ready for a second wave, more masking, they're, they're all now they're all now telling you, oh, it's going to be maybe next summer we can start to just live life normally again. Next summer, these people are out of their minds. They do not have the right to control everyone because of their fear or their political needs. I'm sorry, but but mandating orders for people who are healthy with the idea that it's theoretically possible that some of them may be sick and get other people sick is tyrannical lunacy.
And everyone agreed in the medical community about that until like five minutes ago. You can read about pandemic preparedness. You can read from the the top levels of global health expertise. When they looked at lockdowns, they always said, oh, wait, we can't do this. That's too much. And we don't even know how well it will work. And here's here's some some news for them. It didn't work. Viruses all over the country. So they're going to say, oh, well, we didn't do a good enough job. Yeah, kind of like communism, right? The lockdown wasn't implemented correctly. But next time we'll get it right. Wasn't implemented correctly. The lockdown makes no sense. Lockdown until vaccine. We all agreed too painful, too long, too much, too damaging to society with too little benefit because you could never truly lock down. People would starve in their homes, right? You got to go to the groceries. You got to go outside to do certain things. People are going to mingle with people. Not everyone's going to listen. We don't have the police resources to force everybody to do what the lockdowners want them to. And even if we did have those resources, it would be wrong. It would be tyranny, real tyranny. The libs that were complaining about Trump fascism at the beginning of his presidency have had not a word of protest. In fact, a lot of support for governments just arbitrarily saying you can't leave your home. You can't see other people. You can't see family and friends. And we've just sort of gone along with this. And I'm even seeing conservatives saying, oh, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask, do as you're told. Why? Show me the proof that any of this has done anything for us. All that it's done is we, we wait till the level goes really low and then we reopen and then all of a sudden the cases go up because they're doing more testing. You're delaying cases. You're not stopping them. So what is the point? And now they're even saying with, with, with a vaccine, it doesn't end. So when does it end? Oh, I know when it ends, when they say so. That's not the country, that's not the world I want to live in. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, with us for the first time here on the Buck Sexton Show, we are joined by the one and only Bill O'Reilly. He's got a new book out, Killing Crazy Horse, like all the others. I'm sure going to be a huge bestseller. And, of course, he hosts the Bill O'Reilly Show. Bill, great to have you. Thanks for having me in, Buck. I really appreciate it. So I, I want I got a lot of questions I got to ask you about politics. But first, let's just, Killing Crazy Horse, some of your other topics, I think people, they think Jesus, Lincoln, okay, biggest figures, you know, in, in our history, why Crazy Horse? Well, this is the ninth killing book, the uh, most successful nonfiction book series of all time. 17 million copies of my books in print. And I'm writing primarily for the American citizen who loves his or her country and wants an honest appraisal of it. So if you look at all of my books outside of Jesus, that's the theme. And the big gap that people don't know about is what happened between 1813 and 1890. 77 years of conflict between Native Americans and Washington, D.C. So how did it unfold? Who were the heroes? Who were the villains? Who did what to whom? We don't know. I was a a history teacher, high school history teacher. I didn't know until I started to research the book with Martin Dugard, my co-author, and I went, are you kidding me? This really happened? So we give you all the big names, Cochise, Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, Geronimo, Chief Joseph, Tecumseh. We tell you what happened to them, what kind of people they were. And then we uh, go over the white section from uh, Andrew Jackson, who put down the Creek Rebellion, all the way up to Grover Cleveland 
uh, in the immortal Grover Cleveland. So you read this book, Killing Crazy Horse, you're going to know what happened in your country, and therefore you're going to be able to counter the far left propaganda that is trying to dismantle our nation right now. Yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, there's Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. There, there are a few books that deal with this period in American history, but there should be a lot more. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you tackled this one, especially as we get into this uh, rewriting of history that's going on with the left. And with that, yeah. Bill, I, w- I wanted to transition, if I could, into what, what are the what is the, the primary dynamic you see right now for the folks who are still uh, who are still open to changing their mind in this election. I mean, you're speaking to an audience of mostly, but not entirely conservatives. But h- how do you think the Trump administration is positioning itself right now for those persuadables? I mean, is the messaging right? Are we handling these issues the right way? I think President Trump's making a lot of mistakes. I think he could lose. Um, to me, as an independent and somebody who's known Donald Trump for 30 years, I wrote a history book on him, The United States of Trump, which is b- the best um, book on Trump, if you really want to understand him. I think he's making too many mistakes. I mean, you have a country that is divided, but it's not portrayed accurately by the corrupt media. So if you listen to the media, if you watch the networks and cable news, you think, oh, everybody Everybody uh, despises Donald Trump. He's a liar. He's this. He's that. It's not true. So when Mr. Trump goes on TV or buys ads and he touts his record, his record's pretty strong. I mean, it is. You want to blame him for COVID? All right, fine. Go blame him for COVID. But you have to blame Macron in France, Modi in India, uh, everybody else, because they're all experiencing tremendous backlash on COVID. So to me, as an American, I don't feel deceived on COVID. As far as the economy is concerned, I mean, we just got numbers today from the Census Bureau that says the median income in America had the largest rise in its history under President Trump before COVID. I mean, that's pretty good to me. I mean, you know, everybody benefits and poverty dropped a single percentage point, which is a huge drop. These are all facts. So the president, unfortunately, wanders. He wanders. And, and by wandering, he gives the corrupt media much opportunity to demonize him. And the voters who are not well-informed hear that. And that could influence the election. However, the big day is September 29th because the pressure is on Joe Biden to see if he can perform in a cogent manner and he's not befuddled, which he has been much of the time so far. Do you think it's a it's a fair hit? I mean, you're you're somebody who doesn't pull punches, but also you don't like cheap shots. Do you think that the cognitive decline issue with Biden is already well enough established in the public eye that 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 should be uh, an, an area that's a it's a fair area, ta- area of attack and should be one for the Republicans? I don't, I don't see it as an attack. I see it as a problem. If you listen, Buck, and I know you have, because I listen to your program. If you listen to what Joe Biden said about COVID in the military in Michigan last week, it's frightening. He did not know what he was saying. If you and I make a mistake, we usually know that we made a mistake and we correct it. 
or it's a little mistake. Not him. The entire description that he gave about COVID in the military was so far off, he couldn't even say numbers. He, and he was reading it. He couldn't even read it. So this isn't an attack on Joe Biden. It's an observation. This is a problem <laughs> yeah. that yeah. the Democratic nominee for president has. Yeah, it's amazing. And we're speaking of Bill O'Reilly, author of Killing Crazy Horse, one of the latest in his long series of bestsellers, looking back into important parts, important characters in history. And of course, you all know the Bill O'Reilly show. Uh, Bill, the, the law and order issue. From the very beginning of this, after George Floyd's protests, I was saying, don't bend the knee, this BLM stuff. We've seen this before. We've actually been through this before under the Obama administration, as you know. And it somehow seems like Democrats are almost surprised that this has come back to bite them in the polls, which has become obvious in the last few weeks. Do you think that this is the liability that could tip the election? Or do Democrats feel like they make up they make more from their base on this than they lose with the independents by by pushing this this movement that I think is just bad for everybody, honestly. The violence issue in America is of help to Donald Trump. So you've got two prongs. You have the loony, destructive maniacs who are attacking Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Minneapolis, Kenosha, Wisconsin, on and on. That's one. Then you have the roving drug gangs in New York, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, who are literally gunning down children in the streets. And the mayors and governors of those places will not control the violence. That's a huge issue for Donald Trump, because he will and has. When the guard was sent into Kenosha, because the governor of Wisconsin asked for it, the guards stopped the violence there in hours, not days, hours. I had called for the National Guard to be sent into Chicago six years ago. And if it had been, thousands of African-American lives would have been saved. But the idiot governor of Illinois, Pritzker, who is one of the most incompetent people I've ever seen, um, refused to do it. And Rahm Emanuel, then mayor of Chicago at the time, was a blithering idiot. So all of that has to be put into some kind of perspective by President Trump. And he can then persuade people on that issue. COVID, I think, is a loser for him at this point. He should just keep quiet about it and just say, look, I did the best I could. Everybody makes mistakes in a situation like that. But we've got a vaccine coming, and that's it. He's not going to win on COVID. But on law and order, he will. Bill, before we let you go, and everyone should check out Killing Crazy Horse. I'm going to make sure I get a copy of it. We'll get one for producer Mark uh, as well. But, Bill, I, I want to know, what is the biggest, if, if Biden wins, which big if, but it's possible, as we both know, what's your biggest concern about what you think realistically can happen to this country as a result? Uh, I think if uh, Joe Biden wins the presidency, there'll be a severe recession and perhaps a depression. Now, Trump said that last night in his town hall. Uh, I have said it for months. We know the president gets a transcript of what I say on BillOReilly.com every day. Uh, I believe that. 
because you raise taxes on corporations, they're going to do exactly what they did under President Obama. They're going to go overseas because there are companies that will give them a much more favorable play. And as everybody knows, you can do business anywhere worldwide now. That's number one. I fear a severe recession. The second thing is Joe Biden is not going to be in control. And we, the American people, are not going to know who is calling those shots. Now, I suspect it will be members of the Obama administration, like David Axelrod, those kinds of people. But I don't know. And the socialism and the far left Bernie Sanders bros, they're going to take on a lot of power. And if the Republicans lose the Senate, my God, this country and its traditions are going to be destroyed. That's what you're voting for. Bill O'Reilly, everybody, Killing Crazy Horse, out now. Make sure you get your copy of it and go to BillOReilly.com. Download his show, listen to it there. Bill, great to have you on, sir. We'll talk to you soon. I hope so, Buck. Thanks for having me in. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Let's take a little stroll down memory lane now that we know what the actual results of the Trump administration's foreign policy thus far have been. As the president has the prime minister of Israel talking about what a great peace deal uh, has been. Peace deals are being negotiated or or being signed, I should say, right now with Bahrain and the UAE. Uh, What was the, the lib claim going to be or what was the lib claim that Trump was going to do to the Middle East? Back at the start of the presidency, we got a nice little montage for you. Play one. President Trump's big decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and one that Palestinians and others say could destroy hopes of Middle East peace once and for all. The president's unilateral action will get people killed. How hot will it get? And how destabilizing will it be? What he has done is thrown a diplomatic bomb into the Middle East peace process. They're not interested in history. They don't don't know history. That would then embarrass all the Sunni Arab regimes. They would have to do something enormously complicating, by the way, Israel's relations with them. It's going to stop any hope of Middle East uh, progress in the peace talks. This kind of uh, policy, unilateral decision, will basically wreck the Middle East. Despite warnings from Turkey's President Erdogan, the kings of Jordan and Saudi Arabia, and all of America's NATO allies that this could kill hopes for Middle East peace. You'd have an explosion, an absolute explosion in the region. You might be saying, Buck, what was that all about? What country did Trump invade and, and, and massacre all the inhabitants in in the Middle East? That was about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Okay, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, the world's going to fall apart. The Middle East is going to be soaked in blood forever. And I always think it's so funny. People who don't really know anything about history or politics in the Middle East will say, oh, it's going to be destabilizing. It's like, first of all, it's pretty destabilized. We're talking about mini stability. It's always something that you're measuring in pretty short increments. And second of all, uh, you think moving an embassy is really going to be a big deal there? Meaning that it's going to lead to violence and uh, please. Steve Schmidt, the dumbest analyst on TV over on MSNBC, he tweeted out, where was this, back in 2018, this is making the rounds today, Trump destabilized the Middle East with his decision to move the embassy. His abject ignorance of the history and religions that have shaped this moment have given succor to the agents of terror and chaos. 
Trump destabilizes, Hamas terrorists provoke, Israel responds, repeat. Really, the dumbest analyst on television. Dumber than Anna Navarro, which is amazing. I mean, that's I almost am impressed by how how stupid uh, Steve Schmidt is when he talks about these things. It's not, I don't know the guy. I never met him. It's not personal. I just think he's the worst. I think he's the dumbest analyst on television, political analyst. Might be dumber sports analyst or something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that was what they were saying about the move of the embassy. It was going to wreck everything. Why? Now, now, if you were buying a car from somebody, I, I want to I put this in a, in a context. If you were buying a car from somebody and they were as wrong about that car as you were, uh, as they were rather about this moving of the embassy, right? Meaning that they were saying, oh my gosh, that car, the wheels are going to fall off if you buy that car and it's going to explode if you have the smallest fender bender. The next time after you drive that car, let's say 100,000 miles, it's perfect, purrs like a kitten, no problems. The next time you go to buy a car, would you listen to those morons? Why is it that our news media analysts, particularly about foreign policy and the so-called foreign policy intelligentsia that exists in D.C. and New York primarily, they can just be so stunningly, shockingly wrong. And it's like, you know, oh, yeah, that's just Tuesday. No biggie. No big problem. These people are morons. I, I, I sit here and, you know, you can go back in time. You're never going to create a montage of what I say on this show on, about foreign policy that sounds anything like that in terms of, wow, this person doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. But you see, why do they do it? Why would they say all those things? Just idiotic things. Because they weren't analyzing foreign policy, really. Foreign policy was merely the blunt instrument used for the to attack Trump for the amusement of the MSNBC and CNN audience. That's why that's all that that was. And so in that sense, they completely succeeded, which is why they get bigger followings and they'll get paid more money by these propaganda networks. Because the point isn't to be right. The point isn't to be insightful or to educate people. The point is to attack the political opponents of the left. And whether it's foreign policy or health care or immigration or police uh, issues, that's the ultimate goal. Everything else is not even really a consideration. It doesn't matter. And the way that the, the libs were reacting to this peace deal yesterday, I think, tells you everything you need to know about are they really rooting for peace in the Middle East? And with that, are they really rooting for American success in foreign policy? You know, there's this old phrase. It's so trite now. It's, it's so quaint that partisanship stops at our nation's borders or, you know, at, at, at the oceans that, that uh, border us. And that's clearly not true. Right? Foreign policy has been highly super partisan for a long time. But, you know, you, you do want good things to happen for America and for the world, regardless of, of political party. If you're a sane and moral person, uh, the Democrats can't help but root against this, which is the beginning of what could be. I mean, if you get Saudi Arabia to uh, normalize relations with Israel, 
which the president said yesterday he believes is a real possibility, you will have an entirely new conception of the future of a whole region of the world. And it will go a long way to healing bitterness and hatreds that stretch back over over a millennium now going on two millenniums. So that's really meaningful. If you can just take the orange man bad aspect out of it for a second, Libs, you could see that. But they can't. I mean, even Chuck Todd, again, Chuck Todd is just he's an intense mediocrity. I don't know. I mean, Stephanopoulos, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it with these guys. But, you know, they they have people in the corporate suites of these corporation of these corporate media entities that are owned by mega corporations. And, you know, they they just sort of get the job. They're the guy that gets the job. And here's what Chuck Todd said about this peace deal. I just thought this is so funny. He's. He's clever enough not to say, what do you mean? We want things in the Mideast to be terrible, but he can't bring himself to actually think this is a good idea. This is a good thing. Play six. You know, Peter, this deal is a bit uncomfortable for a lot of observers to watch because it seems so transactional. It's as if pulling out of the Iran deal is what got these Gulf states on board to do this, you know, to then recognize it. It feels like there is a lot of quid pro quos involved in this. Um, that it isn't something larger than that. Then again, sometimes Middle East diplomacy, the only way to make things move is, is through the transactional nature uh, uh, of the region. Notice how he ends up having to kind of, he says this out loud because he's looking for a way to get an answer, a response. It's like, this deal's not so great, right? Because it's transactional. And then he even goes into, I mean, I guess, yeah, kind of transactional is how diplomacy really works. Quid pro quo is how diplomacy works, right? This is the basis of all of it. You know, it's it's amazing. This guy has a job doing political analysis on TV that pays him a lot of money. He says things like that. That's the best. I want to fortunately for him, he managed to kind of turn the ship around at at the end a little bit. But you want to ask, have you you ever been in the Middle East? Do you know how stuff gets done there? If you walk around and you tell uh, Arab regimes, hey, you know, it'd be really nice. You know, you know it would be a really nice thing. It would make people feel good. It would be like a big hug if you just stop hating Israel and actually have diplomatic relations with this country. That is a, a, a close ally of the United States. Uh, no, you're, you're not going to get very far if you do that. The transactional nature of diplomacy is something that uh, one who is trying to do real analysis of this would expect is a part of the equation, but... They, they just couldn't like it. I'm still waiting. It hasn't happened yet, but I am still waiting for Vox to write a piece, a preemptive piece, if you will. You know, quote, why a U.S. Trump brokered Saudi Israel peace deal could be not such a good thing. They might go there if they, if they think that Trump might actually get some kind of official and look, the Saudi recognition that's kind of the holy grail of this. That would be the biggest that would be the biggest peace deal in the Middle East ever. Ever. And uh bigger even than than Sadat and you know, Egypt and, and Israel if the Saudis came on board. I don't know if it'll happen. That's that's a still to me it feels like a long shot, but then again, look what Trump's been able to pull off so far. Uh, but they would they would find a way. I'm telling you right now they'd find a way to be like, "Well, really he inherited Obama's foreign policy." You know, really it was the the 
Iran nuclear deal that created the the groundwork that then they built upon. They'd come up with something. Otherwise, they can just admit that they were wrong. I don't know why it's so hard for libs. They won't do it. They won't admit that they're wrong. I just want to sit here and say, you know, I mean, was Mitt Romney was a better choice than Obama at the time? Yes. But was I wrong to think that Mitt Romney would have been an excellent president? Yeah, I was wrong. Okay, I was wrong. You know, you think about our Mideast military interventions, the war in Afghanistan, absolutely necessary, but we should have left soon after toppling and and ousting the Taliban and and just kept in place a a minimal footprint to help our allies stave off a total collapse afterwards. Uh, You know, Iraq, you know, we were told that uh, there was WMD and there was an imminent threat. You know, was that the right move? No, I think Republicans made a mistake there. Right. And, and you can disagree with me on that. That's fine. But I'm just saying admitting when you're wrong is necessary if you're going to think of yourself as a person who has judgment, integrity and should be listened to. Right. It, it's a critical step. But we now live in a, in a media environment, in particular with the lib echo chambers. It's true on the right as well. You have people like this who will just never they will never admit a mistake. They think the pretense of being, you know, the smartest, the best. They think the pretense of that is the most important aspect of their brand, that they're better and smarter than everybody else all the time and never wrong and never wrong. Um, you know, they were wrong about Trump on foreign. I mean, the libs were wrong about Trump on foreign policy and they just they just can't handle it. It's like they can't process it. It's like they they can't figure out what to do with it. So it just does not compute. So what are they, they're going to ignore it or they're going to downplay it, move on to something else. You know, talk about how Trump is you know, worse than Hitler. They'll come up with some some craziness to replace this in our minds so that we just don't spend time thinking about. It. Thanks for listening to the best of Buck Daily podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. Oh, here we go. We're going to get told any minute now, any minute now, there's going to finally be justice for the deep state collusion against Trump. Lindsey Graham is going to get to the bottom of it. Senate Homeland Security Committee authorizes subpoenas and testimony from or subpoenas for testimony from Obama officials as part of Russia probe. Brennan, Clapper, Comey. And look, uh, we'll talk about this. We'll we'll this we'll discuss this, but they already ha- we already know what they're going to say once they testify. I mean, you got the Senate Homeland Security Committee here uh, saying that they've authorized subpoenas for former CIA Director Brennan, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, former FBI Director James Comey, and other Obama administration officials. The committee held a business meeting to authorize Committee Chairman Ron Johnson to issue notices. For taking depositions, et cetera, et cetera. The committee voted eight to six to authorize the subpoenas. All right. So, so they're doing some subpoenas. Uh, oh, also Dennis McDonough, former FBI counsel Lisa, Lisa Page, FBI agent Joe Pienka, former ambassador to the United Nations Samantha Power, director of intelligence Bill Priest. Wow, they got a lot of people on this list. So I'm, I'm happy they're doing this because at least it'll it'll allow people to see these various uh, senior Democrat deep state officials go before Congress and act like we're all a bunch of idiots and lie to our faces and, 
you can draw your conclusions from there about how much we can trust these institutions going forward, uh, which have been riddled with uh, far left and deep state, uh, deep state ideologues. And I know this because I was in the CIA and I remember there are lefties all over that place. The analytic core at the CIA is full of people who might as well be working for, you know, a Soros, a Soros funded left wing think tank, honestly. Yeah, I know. I, I was known as like a right wing bomb thrower, even within the ranks of the CIA. People were like, where is this this guy? He likes Reagan too much. What's going on here? Um, the, the, the analysts are very left wing and their political inclinations there. Uh, but he, he, here's where I, I've also I team. I always speak the truth. to you. I've been telling you from the beginning. I don't think the Durham probe is going to amount to much. Because they can always fall back. The bureaucrats know that their ultimate fallback position is. We did the best we could. We're just not very smart. We made we, we believe things that no intelligent person could believe that just happened to be really negative for Donald Trump. But can't prove it was criminal. Can't prove it was criminal. And that'll be that. That'll be that. I mean, except for the, the one guy who was so the only hope for the Durham probe to really get somebody was if they were so reckless and sloppy like that one lawyer at the FBI who changed evidence. But I mean, he's not going to. Is he even going to jail for any period? Of time? He's not going to prison or anything. He's going to plead, going to plead to something. And, you know, that's it. And he'll get a book deal and probably get a go on the speaking circuit. Talk about how he was protecting America from the Russian collusion. So I know, look, it would be probably better. I right? would get more downloads and listens and clicks if I do what some of my uh, fellow right-wing media folks do and just say, any, any moment now, you know, just look at the clock. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. We're not. We're not. You want justice for what happened with the deep state coup against Trump? Give this president four more years. That's the only justice that we'll achieve. There's not going to there's not going to be. Comey or Brennan marched out, you know, frog marched out of an office or their homes in handcuffs. It's not going to happen. And if I'm wrong, just like I was saying before, I'll come on this. Wow, team, I missed this one, but it's not going to happen. So I don't want people getting their hopes up about that. Let's focus on winning this election. 